Turn with me to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 27 through 29. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29, and I'm also going to read too from Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So you don't have to turn to both places. You can just go to Mark chapter 8, and uh, we will begin there. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. In 29, he says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Let's read Galatians chapter 2. I'm only going to do verses 19 and 20. And it says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. May the Lord bless his word to our heart. You know, for years... I have asked people a question, myself included. You ever feel as if you're losing? You ever asked that question? You ever feel as if you're losing? You pray for people, they die. You pray for this to happen, this happens. You do this, this happens. I began to ask myself, Lord, why does it always feel as if I'm losing? I always feel like I'm losing. You get a victory here and there, but for the most part, it, it's a strain to, to pray. It's a, it's a strain to read the Bible sometimes. It always feels like a grind, and I don't know about you, but I just like to keep it real. There are some times when I get up in the morning, and I'm like, man, I don't feel like praying. You know what? I'll pray later. I'll, I'll do this, or I'll do it. And everything becomes like a law, a chore, something I have to do in my flesh, and I didn't enjoy it, and I saw things as I was getting old and really over the last few years it, I, I just said something has to be different I, I got to be missing something Th this I read about what Christ has done and it, it just doesn't seem like I, I'm there it doesn't seem like I'm there in Galatians 5 22 through 24 it's going to set up where we're going today it says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now I'm going to say something, and I want you to think about it. That's why I said, let him finish that whole thing. Your old nature is dead. It's dead. The problem is that some Christians, many Christians, they don't understand that. That the things that which reside in you are put there by the Spirit because the Spirit lives in you. You'd agree with that, right? That the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And we have resurrection power inside of us. And I think sometimes as Christians, we spend more time resurrecting our carcass that should be dead and staying where it is in the ground and not walking in the things that are available for us to walk into. It hinders us. It hinders our prayer life. I'm going to be blunt. You, you've, we've all prayed prayers. I know I've prayed them where we say, Lord, thank you for the service today. Bless us as we leave. Go with us as we leave this place. That's a stupid prayer. He said he'd never leave you or forsake you. But yet we'll just say it because 
we just know how to say it. And we say, Lord, do this and do that. And I believe that he's looking at us saying, I've done everything already. I've healed you. I've raised you up. You have new life. You have new clothes. Everything resides inside of you. It's not a matter of God sending something to you. It's a matter of what he's done coming out of you. And that changes the whole game. It changes how you pray. It changes how you live. What you say, when Jesus said, who do they say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What you say about Jesus is going to determine how you live. Because if he's somebody that you always have to please, he's always upset with you, you can never get it right, you didn't read, you didn't pray, you will have the worst Christian life in the world. And you might be like everybody else. But if you say, no, you're, you are my healer. I am healed. We're going to get to that because uh, that stings a lot of people when you say that. But we're going to get to what? That these things that the Spirit of God has placed inside of you by the death of Jesus need to come out. And that's why Christianity is very boring in a lot of circles. That's why nothing happens a lot of the times. It's not because God is saying, you didn't pray long enough. You, you haven't done this long enough. You haven't done this long enough. And and." You know, you're subpar. No, he's saying, I have done everything and I'm dying for it to come out of you. But I can't force it out of you. Because he doesn't do that. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step. I want to say this. If you go back to the Old Testament, I'm going to read a couple verses real quick. But look at Judges 6.34. Here's what it says. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. In Ezekiel 11.5, it says, The Spirit of the Lord fell upon me. That's what Ezekiel said. Under the Old Covenant, you will see that the Holy Spirit falls upon people, comes to people, appears, disappears. In the New Testament, under the cover we're under, that never happens because he lives in you. So he doesn't come and leave, come back and stay and... and in and out, in and out. No, he lives inside of you. Where you go, he goes. It's not, it's not so much uh, visitational. It's, as one uh, guy that I love to listen to, he says, it's habitational. He lives inside of you. And, and so you have to understand that our minds need to switch gears from asking God about certain things and petitioning him for things and asking the spirit to come and, and flipping over to, wait a second, I'm a powerhouse. The devil runs from me. I can heal people. I walk in health. Everything has changed. The Bible says that the enemy comes but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, I was having a friendly conversation. That's the Italian way of saying you were arguing. Um, you'll notice that as the Spirit of God begins to move in you, you're going to get oppositions from Christians. You're going to get it anyway because that's just the way they are. Right? Everyone's like, yeah. it's just that way sometimes. You have friendly. Uh, so anyway, I said, you know, it, it never says that the devil steals, you know. It says he comes to. It says he comes to. It, he doesn't just have access to say, all right, what do you got? Give it to me. And, or he takes it from you. No, he comes to do that. We just make it easy. So he knock, you know, he'll do something like, 
knock on the door. Hey, you know, I'm looking in your house and I see your marriage is poor. I got an idea. You give me your marriage and I'll give you that lady you work with that you really like. I'll give you that guy at the gym that you saw. You know, the one that looks a little bit better than your husband, treats you a little bit better. You give me your bad marriage and I'll give you that. That's what he does. That's what he comes for. I see your kid is really not living the way I guess that you want him to. I got an idea. I have some substances that will just help him calm down. It'll help her calm down. Won't, you won't have as many arguments. You won't have as many fights. Just give him this. It'll help. That's what he does. He does not have access to come in and just take what he wants and, and leave or push you over. That doesn't happen. He comes to do that, but he can't do that unless you help him out. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit, there it is, dwells in your midst? In Romans 8.11, it says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. The number one goal, I'm totally convinced of this, of the enemy is he is trying to keep you away from your true identity. That's his goal. There was a, I was a, an assistant basketball coach uh, for a couple years when I was in Charlotte. And one day I'm watching one of our students play. I am so mad at this kid. I, you know when you talk to yourself? You ever get so mad you're just mumbling and you walk around and if people ever saw you they just think you're crazy. But And... I wasn't allowed to say anything yet because the head coach was running plays, and finally I got this kid to the side. I said, you are driving me crazy. You know that? And he said, uh, why, coach? I said, every time you get the ball, everyone's taking it from you. It's driving me crazy. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, I know. Well, I don't know why. Most of the kids taking the ball, here's the fact of the story, were like my size. And this student of mine, Victor, was 6'6", six, six, like 210. And these little kids were taking the ball from him. And I said, he goes, well, what do I do? I said, grab the ball, swing it, and if you hit one, who cares? Just hold the ball. So he grabs the ball, swings it, and hits about three people in the face with an elbow. And uh, we called a foul. I was laughing, and nobody tried to take the ball from him. Because once Victor found out how strong he was, nobody got the ball from him. He just didn't know that he was strong. I had to tell him, you, you're 6'6", 210. These kids are 5'7". I said, they can't take the ball from you. So every other time when he got a rebound, man, he went after that thing, and his fa everybody was backing down. He just didn't know who he was. And it's the enemy's job to keep you from knowing who you are. That's his job. Because once he finds out who you, once he is alerted to the fact that they know who they are in Christ, there's no power there. There's nothing there. He can't do anything. The only thing that he does on a daily basis is talk to you. Because he can't do it. He's got no power. So he talks, and he talks, and he, that's, that's, that's his game because he knows he's defeated. This isn't somebody who is moving in power and he's strong. No, he goes off of you. What can I get? What are you willing to give me? 
What are you willing to give me? In Ephesians 3, 16 and 17, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I want to stop here, if I can, just for a second. What has Jesus done? Ask yourself that question. You know, it, it bugs me a little bit that when you talk to so many Christians, it, it's heaven or hell. They think heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. If you have people that approach transgender, gay people, heaven or hell. Murderers, heaven or hell. It, they're, they're so fixated on that. Listen, I'm grateful we're going to heaven. There's no doubt about that. It's one of the primary reasons Christ died, so that we didn't have to go to a Christless grave and be lost. But don't stop there. He restored everything that Adam ruined. Everything. And I think sometimes, and I'll just use myself as an example, it never clicked with me because maybe the way you're taught, maybe what you hear, what you hear is very important, by the way. What you hear is very important. It could be from your own family. It could be from people at your church. It could be from your coworkers. What you hear is important. And sometimes you'll have to literally say, I reject that. I can't listen to that. I've told this story a couple times. I have coworkers. Some of them are Christians. Some are not. They all talk the same, minus a little less profanity from the ones that are Christian. But primarily, they all talk the same. They come in. They gather together, you know, if in the kitchen when they're eating lunch. It's flu season, you know. Here it comes. Watch it. Uh, all the time. It's flu season. You're going to go to CVS and get your flu shot? you going to Walgreens to get your... It's flu season. Not for me, it's not. That's what I tell them. Maybe for you. I'm not going to get the flu. I walk in health. And it's the unsafe people that say, oh, that's cool, while the Christians say, no, you're a, you're a name it, claim it type person. No, I go by God's promises. You don't. Every year they get the flu. Every year they get the flu. It's like they get the shot and they get the flu. And I never get the flu. And I say, I'm not better than you. I just know who Jesus is and how I walk. I don't need the flu shot. If you need the flu shot, why do you take the flu so you don't have to get the flu? I just, weird. Like, in the back of a CVS. Yeah, I want you sticking a needle in me to give me the flu so that I don't get the flu. Like, no, I'm not going to, I don't live like that. But you have, these are Christians. That's what I'm saying. If you were to come to me or somebody else and say, you know, my back has been hurting a little bit. Would you mind praying? Sure. We get excited. Or someone says, Hey, I just found out I have stage 3, possibly stage 4 cancer. Really? What, well, why do we switch? Why do we switch? Does it take any more power to heal a backache from God than it does cancer? But see, we go by what we, we're carnal. And that doesn't mean sinful. What it's talking about there is senses. I see that most people we pray for don't make it. So I'm just going on what I see. I'm going on what the doctors told me. Don't listen to him. 
Who are you? That's where you need to be. It's a crazy, I know it's a crazy concept, but who are you? Why, it doesn't take any more power to heal a backache than it does cancer for God. None. But see, we're trained to be sad, and, well, if he said that, we're going to, we're, you know, man, we're, we're going to pray. Then you just have some people who basically have you in the grave already. Now, listen, let me be honest. I've had roughly probably in the dozens of people in my family die of cancer. Pastor knows that. You've lost people, wives, husbands, children. I'm not trying to be insensitive. All I'm simply saying, and I don't want you to feel condemned. Like Maybe had I known this then, they would live. Listen, there are some circumstances I don't have an answer for. I don't have an answer for it. But I do think that if we start knowing who we are in Christ, if we start praying maybe a little bit differently, if we start saying, you know what, you are healed. You know, in the Old Testament in Isaiah, it says, by his stripes we are healed. But in 1 Peter 2.24, it says, by his stripes which you were healed. One is a prophecy to come. One is completed. I'm here to tell you, you are healthy. And even though you might not see that manifestation yet, you say, well, you know, I pray, but it still hurts. Say you're healthy. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me. And then the next day you don't feel good. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me. And when you put your faith in the finished work of Christ, knowing that he has established you in everything that Adam destroyed, you will see the change. Because I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, take it or leave it, Jesus has done everything already. I could make a strong argument that he doesn't heal anymore because he's healed you already. He's placed healing inside of you. It's already inside of you. When it says that it's finished, that's what I mean. Everything is finished. It's a big work. It's not just heaven or hell. It's a big work. He's, ma he's made you and he's put in you. Um, well, let me say this. You can't be, over, if in your old nature, you're an angry person, you have no patience. You hear Christians say, God is, God is working on my anger. No, that's over here. God is working on your patience, your new man over here. He doesn't work on something that should be dead. But see, we, we come over here saying, yeah, you know, I've been struggling with pornography. God is helping. No, no, no. He's showing you about love over here. Come over here. Don't stay over here. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable. You, you can't come over here to new life, come over here to your old life, feel guilty here. Then church was good, I feel better. But now it's Monday, I'm back over here, and I don't feel good again. But there's Wednesday night prayer. Maybe it'll be, you can't, you can't do that. You stay in the new man. You're learning about who you are. That's where you are. You're not over here. You'll start to realize, too, if you look back, just how dumb some things were. I have a, my father, he's a funny man. Um, we've had some good conversations lately. And I said to him, you know, that's the first time I actually think you listen to me. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's coming along. But, uh. 
Now, forget him, because many of you grew up with me. I remember you, too. We all had the same philosophy. Hey, there's a new movie out. You want to go see it? When we were young, our parents. No. Don't spend your money on that trash. Why would you sit and watch a movie for two hours and pay $10 for it? That's what we were told. So it wasn't until like recently I said to myself, okay, $10, two hours. And the people who said that that wasn't good or was wrong, your cable bill is $130 a month. And you sit there for six hours. 136 hours, and that's just a day. We don't count the whole week. Stupid. We didn't celebrate Halloween. I'm not saying you have to. If you don't, great. If you do, I, I don't care. That's not for me to... But we didn't celebrate Halloween. But we went door-to-door -door witnessing. You know where I'm going with that? So we would knock on people's doors, a little creepy. Hey, I got something for you to read. And uh, you could be going to hell, just so you know. Um, <laughs> so we were fine with doing that. But then on Halloween, we had trick-or-treaters. We shut the lights, jumped behind the couch, and acted like we weren't home. <laughs> so you go door-to-door -door witnessing, but then you have kids come to your door, and you act like you're not home. Stupid. But yet, back then, it made sense. We're standing up for Christ. We don't celebrate the devil's holiday. They came to your door. It was a lot easier than you going to their door. But you get what I'm saying? That's like the mentality. And, and if one family in the church does it, so-and-so's kids don't participate. Well, then we're not part. Oh, my goodness. I got to move on. The jacket comes off. We could have problems because I might just lose. But you get what I'm saying? It's, we just perpetuate things. And I don't think sometimes we actually think about what we're saying or what we're doing. Death and life are in the tongue. So what you want to see happen, declare it. See it. That's what you're going for. We're, we're, we're speaking those things. And I know some people took that and went to the umph degree. I claim having a Lamborghini in my driveway by the end of the week. And see, that, that ruined it for declaring stuff because we didn't want to be like them. But it's not about being like this group or that group. This is who you are. That's, that's, what, uh, that's what Jesus is saying here. John 14, 23. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him. We'll make our home where? In him. Romans 6, 8, and 11. If we died with Christ, we believe we will live with him. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Now we'll read one more in uh, John 17, 20. This was Jesus' prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. God doesn't share his throne with anybody. If sickness is in your body, it can't stay. He doesn't share his throne. You're the temple of God. It can't stay. It's not allowed to be there. On this side of my body reigns this, and on this side of the body reigns Jesus. Don't work that way. Now, I don't deny symptoms. If you're coughing, it's not like I say, oh, it's fake. It's not really a cough. It's a cough. If you got a fever, if you have cancer, it might be there. 
but it can't stay. I used to be deathly afraid to say that because if someone didn't make it, you look like the moron. Well, they believed for the... And um, I don't know what people believe in their heart. I don't know what people believe in their heart. I can only pray. That's all I can say. I can only pray. But how about we start praying with God instead of to God? How about we start agreeing with what he says about us and start trying to petition him for something he's already done? Because somewhere above our heads there seems to be a small car accident where he is releasing down to us and has through Christ and we're praying up and asking him for things he's done. And then in turn, nothing really happens. That's why I said there's something wrong when, you're, when we're praying for people and the numbers are mostly people don't get well. Every now and then we get a good report. That, that's nonsense. That's not the way Jesus lived his life. We have that life inside of us. I, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says, other than the one place where he couldn't do many mighty things, but he's still healed, by the way. It says, except for heal a few. But he couldn't do mighty things. That's incredible because healing for him is easy. It's not even that mighty. That's supposed to happen. But it never said that the majority of the people died of, of this disease, but there were a few that lived. There was a good report every now and then. No. We've turned it that way because we go by what we see and by what we hear. If so-and-so had this and they didn't make it, maybe I won't. The doctor says this. The doctor says that. My mother-in-law told me this. He says this. But then the guy at work said, try this. <clears throat> You're walking in health. You're walking in victory. You know, in Romans 8, 38, uh, 37, rather, it says that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. It's a powerful verse. You're not a conqueror. You're more than battle's been done. You just go and pick up all the good things. That's what it is. I just come through and I get all the blessings that God has given to me. He's already sent Jesus and given us the victory. I just come in and collect. That's more than a conqueror. Right? If you go and work and you give your wife the credit card, she's more than a conqueror. <coughs> She just goes and has fun, you know? I said that to one of my students one day. I said, uh, they asked if I believed in Santa Claus. I said, personally, I think he's pretty selfish if he does exist. I said, I don't know. I don't like him. Why? He brings these. But can I just tell some of you parents something? If your kid at 15 doesn't know that Santa Claus isn't real, like, could you do something about that? Because it's like getting older. Like, years ago, it was like if you were four or five, maybe they didn't. But like, if your kid is, like, 15 and they're, like, still dumbfounded, you're not doing what you need to do. Like, he's definitely, you know, behind the times. But I said if he was so giving, he would come back at the end of the month and help you with the credit card bill if he was really, like, you know, giving. But he only dumps stuff off, I don't know, makes you pay for it, and then... It doesn't seem like that good of a trade-off for me. 
In 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that anybody can boast. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm going to give you one other verse. 1 John 4.17, By this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So how is he? He's healthy. Uh, it was a couple weeks at our church that my wife and I were uh, kind of doing a devotional. Is that what they call it? I don't even know what it's called. They say, can you go up and... yeah." Um, And I just said something that I felt the Lord put on my heart. Ask God different questions. Ask me different questions. That's what I felt like the Lord said. Because I I always ask questions to him. How come this? Why this? What's going to happen with this? And I just felt like the Lord said to me one day, ask me a different question. Ask me different questions. I said, I don't know what to ask you. He said, ask me if I'm worried about your bills. Ask me if I'm worried about your health. Ask me if I'm worried about that sin or that problem that you think is impossible. So I asked him. And before he actually, you know, answered it, no, I just said, yeah, I guess that's pretty. Do you get what I'm saying? Is God worried about your situation? Does he panic over your bills? Is he worried about your health? Ask him that. God, are you worried about this? This is a God who is rotating the earth, by the way, on nothing. On nothing. This is a God who's made more stars than the greatest telescopes can't capture it. That's how big he is. He doesn't bless you just to get you by. It's always infinite. The Bible says whatever we ask or think, he's got to do exceedingly and above. Think big. Go big, because it's not as if he's bored. It's just that he is that amazing. It's that easy for him. Like if he's rotating planets and doing all these things, you say, I don't know about my health. I don't know. I ask big. Go big. That's what he's saying there. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, Go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and send some of those to have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You ever ever get something revealed to you that you say, man, I should have known that like 2,000 years ago. His joy is your strength, not your own. You don't manufacture it. I could spend the next six hours. Thank God I won't because I'm going to get hungry in about 10 minutes anyway. But I could spend hours on how Christians are performing their way, trying to move the arm of God. That, that we're so caught up in sin and trying not to do it. We're, we're, we're striving to do this and striving to do that and, and pressuring ourselves here. We feel condemned when we mess up. We, we feel terrible. We've got to get it right. We come to church and we smile because, God forbid, we say to someone, I struggled with this last night. We would be mortified, especially if you're in a place of leadership. There's a a tendency to dumb down, smile, and then we'll deal with the problem after the service because we don't want to let everyone know what's going on. You can't 
perform your way and God loves you more. It's not through performance that he loves. He's never going to love you more than he does right now. So whether you were doing something completely stupid last night or you did the greatest thing in the world, he loves you the same. That doesn't change, okay? And maybe you grew up in a home where you had to do certain things to gain your dad's affection or your mom's affection or someone. That's not God. Don't put that on him. He loves you the same. Nothing changes. But you cannot perform your way to a blessing, to a healing, to a... No, that's been put inside of you. It's a matter of you walking in faith. And basically, you've heard that. I've heard that. I never knew how to do that. Like, all right, like, is there like this bubble of faith? And um, It's not faking it either. Do you ever fake having strong faith? Like, you know what? I'm going to the doctor today, but I'm feeling good. That service was awesome. I, I have faith. And the doctor says, it spread. No. And then, all, well, what happened? It's just... It, it, it's not performing. It's by saying, okay, thank you, Lord, for healing me. No, I'm telling you it got worse. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. By his stripes, I'm healed. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. Yeah, but it, I just told you, thank you, Lord, for healing me. That's why I say it's vital. Get around people that talk about their true identity in Christ. They will ruin your life if you talk to people. I. Well, I'll say it. I'm not going to be here maybe another four years. No, <laughs> It don't matter if they're in your church. It don't matter if they're in your family. I've had to tell family members, I reject that. I disagree with that. I don't let that have root. You know, the Lord, our God made this world by talking. I mean, it's not as if he handcrafted things and polished it. And No, he, he spoke. He throws seeds out. Your words are seeds. You throw them out, you get what you say. That's what happens. That's, that's, that's how he does things. Everything is by a seed that he does. And it comes from words. That's, that's how it is. He speaks. That's all it is. And that's why he's given us a mouth, because what you say matters. Because it has that much power to it. Your words are powerful. If you're the son of, if, if we're sons and daughters, co-heirs to Jesus, your words matter. That's why you could have a 40-year-old a, a man that's still down and out from what his dad said about him from when he was five. Because it matters. He never got over the fact. I remember talking with my dad who told me that his dad said that he would be a zero. That he would be nothing. He wouldn't make it. I mean, my dad, don't tell him I said this, but he's, what, 73? And it bothered him like a few years ago. He was saying, you know, that, I remember when your grandfather said that. I said, Dad, you got three kids. You've pastored a church. I need to move on. Who are you in Christ? What does is, what is, what is your dad, your, this dad, say about you? Because that's what matters. What does he say about you? Don't worry about what other people say. What does he say about you? God is not mad at you. If you're, doing, if, if you're living a life without him right now, he's not mad. He wants you to be here because he loves you. Sin is just a separator. That's what it does. You know why God hates sin? Because it's second best. Everything he does is number one. 
You are number one. That's why he made you. You're number one. He doesn't do second best. He's not a second best God. I think in our minds as Christians, we always thought that God was here, then in second place was the enemy, then in third place were the angels. No, it's God, it's you, and then there's nothing. And so it's, what, it's how you're living. It's, it's not as if Satan is as strong as you are. He's not. He gives that appearance, but he's not. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are his righteousness. You're sanctified. Very fancy word to mean purified. That's what you are. That's the way he sees you. You're redeemed. It says, as he is, so are you. That is your identity. Your old nature is dead. You don't resurrect it. Leave it there. Move on. When I was uh, younger, we used to go to youth camps. I went to the altar, I don't know, 40 times in a week because I was scared to death. They always gave those altar calls where it was like, and they would think about it. They would think about it because they would say, who here is struggling with this? Nobody raised their hand. And the guy would think about it and say, how about pornography? And then everybody would, you know. It, it, it was like they, they, they wanted that altar and, and you were scared to death. I've gotten saved probably from the age of about five to the age of about 30, probably a quarter of a million times. <laughs> and I told God that I was going to do this and I was going to do that. I couldn't, control, I couldn't control doing anything because people would say, you have to get your life right. Let me tell you something. Some of you might disagree with this. That's okay. You can't get your life right. Go ahead and try. There were habits that I had that I maybe went a week or two and didn't do it. And then after that, when you're doing something on your own strength, it fails. I've thrown out more CDs and repurchased the same CDs about 600 times because I couldn't not do it. I would come back from youth camp. I would throw all my CDs out. I'm done. I'm leaving the world behind. After about a week, you start to kind of do this. And man, one song I wanted, one song I wanted to listen to. And, I, and then all of a sudden, I'd, I'd be right back at the store. And I would buy it. I felt better, though, because I would throw the case out and just have the CD. It kind of made me feel like, yeah. You couldn't see, like, you know, a Led Zeppelin picture of Pink Floyd, so I, you know, throw that out but keep the seat. And it was like, because everybody told me that it was by, you know, don't do this and don't do that. Where it was just, there were times that when I would sin, I would say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I still sin. And the next time, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Then all of a sudden, you look back after a while, you're like, oh, I don't do that anymore. I didn't really, what, try, because I couldn't try. You might kick something by trying for a little while, but it doesn't last. But if you just know who you are, you just don't have a, I don't know, you just move away. It just happens. Not that I've moved away from a lot of my music, because I realize I liked it. It was good. I understand there's some things that are explicit and, over the top. I get that. I'm not saying if you're, you know, talking about rape and whatever and all that, if it's good stuff, no. You get what I'm saying. Don't judge. 
In Hebrews it says in chapter 12, verse 2, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's the Father's joy for you to have a relationship with him. It's his joy that you understand who you are. And I want to close just by challenging you, if I can. Um, maybe I've said some things that are a little jarring, but I never want to come back to this church and it'd be the same. Never. Not that it's not great. I'm, I'm not giving that. But when I, anywhere I go, I want to see people free. I want to hear. I, I want it to be the type of church where people on the street say, I, I don't know what it is with that church, but as soon as I walked through the door, I wasn't limping. I wasn't. That's the kind of faith Bible church you're looking for. That, that's what happens. That's what happens. They don't just pray to God. They pray with God for me. They, um, let me say this. We're talking about words. Command things to get out of your body. Command people to be healed. Your word, you, you're, you're the king's kid. Command it. It doesn't have a right to be there. It's not as if someone came into your house. You'd say, hey, uh, I was you know, talking with my wife. We really feel like you shouldn't be here. Um, you know, if you could leave the TV. No, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. Hey, you got about three seconds to get out before you catch it bad. That's what you would say. See the shotgun? If I were you, I'd leave. I'll give you two seconds to make the. You command it to go. If you've ever looked at Jesus when he healed people, give me one prayer that's more than like nine words. Lazarus, come forth. And he comes. With the woman who was bent over like this for 18 years, straighten up. That's how he prayed. Those are his prayers. But, but, but when we pray, we have like 10-hour prayer meetings. For what? Now, if you want to have a 10-hour prayer meeting to be in the presence of God and to soak it in, I don't have a problem with that. But when you're praying for someone, get to it. Like, nobody wants to sit there and pray for seven hours because that's not what Jesus, Jesus didn't need fancy words and, oh, I come to you, oh, and I, uh, oh. get out. That's, that's kind of the way it is. That's how he healed people. You have that type of power. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel weird. Don't feel like, oh, should I, I don't even know if I should say that. No, that's who you are. He told you to do that. I said to a, a friend of mine the other day, you know, when we were growing up, we were so worried about not cursing. We were so worried about music. We were worried about this, that, and the other. Uh, smoking and drinking was very big at the altar calls, you know. Th they would sit in front of 5,000 people and say, the Lord has just put upon my heart that, is there anyone here struggling with smoking? Dude, there's 5,000 people. There's probably like 4,000 that smoke. I mean, that's not... This is not orchestrated of God. But, you know, it wasn't until later on in, in, in life where the Lord told me, people are so busy trying not to sin that the, that the things over here that I told them to do and gave them power to do and authority to do, nobody's doing. What did he say to do? Well, he said, he said don't, you know, whoever sins, is, this is going to happen and, and this will happen. No, no, no. He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, Yes? 
raised the dead. But why do you not see this? Because we're all over here. We're all over here trying to get victory. And Jesus says, no, I gave you victory. Do this. Do this. It's not weird for you to go up to somebody at Walmart and say, I see that you're limping. Could I pray for you? And tell it to leave the pain. That's what we need to do. I was telling my wife, this is my third closing. I'm going to be done. See? I'll put it, put it right there. That's, that's, another, uh, that's another Italian ha- habit that I have. If you're Italian, okay, they spend 50 minutes saying goodbye to you. It's the weirdest thing. They, they stand by the door. All right. Thank you. Okay. Good to see you. All right. I'm getting out of here. Okay. And I'm like, and then, and then it's like, did you hear about some? And then a, a whole other conversation started. But they stand there. They don't even go back and sit down. They stand there, and they talk right around the front door. And you're just like, I'm opening it, shutting it. Like, you know, you're going. But uh, I said to my wife, I really feel like God wants me to go up to people and just start praying. I said, but I don't know. Why don't I know? Because I was taught, Spirit, just lead me. Put, some, put somebody in my path. They're all over. You don't need anybody in your path. They're all over. Just turn around and look. They're all over. So I said, I think he, you know, we're, we're to be that bold. And she said, well, then why don't you do it? I said, fine. Then the next person I see, we're going to pray for them. We're at a light, and this blind guy walks right in front of the car, and he goes to the bus station. And I looked at her, and she was like, you said it. (laughs) So we pull over. We run to the bus stop. I approached this blind man. I said, sir, I said, I don't mean to startle you. I said, would you mind if I prayed for we're, I mean, we're excited. Clearly, this is the Lord. I mean, he, he's placed someone right there. And uh, she'll tell you. He flat out said, no, I don't want you to pray for me. I'm fine being blind. I'm not a real religious person. I said, yeah, neither am I. I said, I just believe that Jesus can do something for you. No. That was the first time. I stepped out to do something, and that's and I had a blind guy tell me, no, don't pray for me. <laughs> and I, you could almost hear the enemy saying, you look how stupid you are. Do you know how dumb you look? You know what? And I got excited because if he's saying that, he knows that's a problem. Why would you say anything? Four weeks later, I see the blind guy. I don't want to stop. I see him at the bus stop. He's like this big. I don't know how I saw him. It was almost like the Lord said, don't drive by him. You know you see him. (laughs) So I parked, and I went up to him. I said, excuse me. He said, yes. I said, I don't know if you remember me, but a couple weeks ago, I asked if I could pray for you. Did you come out here just to say that to me? (laughs) Yeah, I saw you standing by the bus stop. He goes into this whole thing. It's amazing. He used to go to church. They threw him off the drums because he was blind. And they wanted somebody else. Then he told me that he believed that Jesus could definitely open up his eyes. But he had a friend who was blind and could see when he was prayed over. And he committed suicide 
because seeing for the first time was such a, a huge thing that the pressure of it, he didn't know what to do. You see? So I could have approached this guy and said, I, c I can't believe he didn't want me to pray for him. But you see, he's been burned in church. He's had someone commit suicide. The devil said, if you open up your eyes, what if that happens to you? And now this guy is afraid. So I got to talk with him for a half hour. I did not get to pray with him yet. But he said, I almost consider you like a friend. He was so dumbfounded. I can't believe you would come all the way here to pray for me. So as he was stepping on the bus, he turned around. He goes, I'm going to think about what you said. I said, yeah, that's fine. But we've had a chance to pray for people. And we're seeing him yield in stores. I don't care if everyone looks. You're going to get the middle finger. Yep. You're going to get people that might spit on it. Mm -hmm. That's normal. Don't, don't, don't think that it's, that's what happens. But then when you get the ones that are healed and everyone starts turning around in the store and they can't believe it, it's exciting. So let me encourage you. You're the righteousness of God. You're alive in Christ. Leave your old nature. It's dead. So I want you to stand with me this morning. And we're going to, I want to pray for you. If you're sick, I want to pray for you. But listen carefully. I am not anybody. I do not possess a special healing ministry. That's a bunch of garbage. All of you are healers. All of you are healers. You all have healing inside of you. That's what God did. If you know somebody that's going to come up here that needs healing, come up and pray. This isn't me touching you and something spectacular happening. This is us agreeing as a church that we believe that Jesus has paid the price for us to be into heaven, for us to walk in health, for you to be prosperous in all that you do. Okay? That's how we pray. That's how we live. That's being a Christian. You want to see people come to this church? You want this church to grow? I know you do. Start healing them. They'll come. They'll come. Start, start being friendly to people. Just say, I'm going to pray for you. They'll come. You don't have to have a... You don't have to put Starbucks in your, you know, in your church to get people to come. And if you want, look, if you want to do it, I'm all for new things. Don't get me wrong. You need programs, I'm all for it. But you don't need to do it. They'll come. They'll come. So as the worship team sings, if you need prayer, I just want you to come here. And I just want you as a church, we'll just come together if we could do that. And let's just agree that people are going to be healed. That's all we're looking for.